0: Welcome to Wheel Adventures. My name is Mark Waters. I'll be your host, along with, on occasion, when she feels like it, (laughs) my wife, Renge, who's my traveling companion for most Wheel Adventures that we do. And uh, we live in Redmond, Oregon, so central Oregon, just outside of Bend, which a lot of people would consider is the overlanding capital of the universe uh, we just traveled recently to Florida and then across the country to Arizona, and we were remarking about how few overlanding vehicles we saw or people riding BMW motorcycles, GS-type bikes, and so forth, and how we get back home in about every <laughs> other vehicle, regardless of the type in a lot of ways, is, uh, has got a rooftop tent and Rotopax uh, stuck to the thing somewhere. but
1: uh, We came back to our little overlandy bubble.
0: Yeah, overland bubble. Okay. So the defining of overlanding is an interesting topic, I think. And our approach, the reason that I named the podcast Wheel Adventures is because our approach is about a broader holding of what overlanding actually is you know up until fairly recently a lot of people in the world especially in europe considered overlanding as something you do on a motorcycle and uh, in other places like australia overlanding is a term that was they don't even use the term overlanding for anything that's done in their continent at all in australia Overlanding is something you do when you travel to another country. And likewise, podcasts are kind of a throw up term, uh, throw out term. <laughs> <I don't, laughs> it's a term that's basically vomited. <laughs> Uh, about going, <laughs> honey. It's a term that's basically vomited about what it what it is. To me, a podcast has always primarily been audio, but there are a lot of people that consider the YouTube channels that uh, Andrew Saint Pierre White at Forex Overland does, or Kevin at uh, uh, Lifestyle Overland does um, as podcasts. I consider them. I would term that as a vlog. Not that having to pin a term on anything really matters that much, but to me, because I love listening to audio podcasts. People don't need to see my mouth move. They don't need to see my sound hole while they're listening to us. And so the thing that I love about audio-only podcasts is I don't feel like I'm missing anything by not seeing the video. And as we have, my wife and I have talked about quite a bit, how on the spectrum of reading books to watching TVs or going to a movie theater, watching something is the most passive, interactive involvement of our mind and our imagination. Reading is the most for me, listening to radio, listening to NPR in the morning or whatever I'm listening to on the radio, and I've always loved radio, um, or listening to an audio-only podcast means that my mind is engaged more than being told what to envision by watching it. It requires more of the person that's speaking because in producing you know, the podcast... Because if it's annoying, I mean, I've listened to a lot of podcasts who just kind of ramble Is a conversational note, and it's like, well, do I really need to be listening to this? And on the other hand, my favorite podcast, Mysterious Universe, those guys are brilliant. They're a virtuoso of the spoken word because they know how to tell a story. They know how to... Make you laugh when it's appropriate, and uh, have their own perspective without it being rambling or too chatty. You know, rambling or too chatty. The, what I'm doing right now. <laughs> so that's the approach I'm taking. And the other, the other thing that I think we're going to present that's a little bit different is my definition of overlanding includes the 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 categories of. Travel for wheel-driven vehicle-dependent off-road travel that spans the spectrum between human-powered and and uh, and motor-driven. I'm a bike packer. I started bike packing. I. I may have been one of the first bike packers in the United States for that matter because I started mountain biking back in the uh, late 70s. And the thing that really attracted me to riding a bicycle off-road isn't just doing day trips, which are a blast. I love doing day trips. But uh, my ex-wife and I uh, went up to Conundrum Hot Springs with fully loaded gear on our mountain bikes back when mountain bikes alone weighed forty pounds. So we were I was hauling like close to a hundred pounds up at above timberline at high elevation and it was a gas. It was so fun to be able to get out for more than a day. And that's what's always attracted to me attracted me to the idea of overlanding is the ability to get out and stay out. Because that's what my grandma told me to do when I was five <laughs> years old. And I was in the kitchen and I was bugging her and she was like, Mark, get out and stay out. You really and I was like, down. wow, <laughs> I want that on my tombstone. Mark, he got out and he, and stayed, he stayed out. out. <laughs> <laughs> and I love dirt. I love dirt. I mean, I've had wonderful trips. We've had great trips on pavement, but I love dirt and the reason i thought about it again this morning i think one of the things that appeals to me about travel on dirt is the same thing that appeals to me about the type of skiing that i love to do and i've been a, i've been a nordic instructor i've been an alpine instructor i've been a, a alpine touring and a telemark instructor and the th- for me skiing groomed runs what are called peace runs in in, uh, in Europe. Uh, they're basically boring because the uniformity of groomed ski runs is like, yeah, they're fun for fast cruisers, but it gets really pretty boring because it's all the same. And pavement is like peace runs. Pavement is pretty much all the same. You can have different scenery, which can be great, but... The, the the actual driving on the surface is, is has got a homogeneity that I just find kind of boring, whereas dirt, just like backcountry skiing, the 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 difference in snow conditions can be infinite. You can have, you can have crotch deep powder all the way to breakable death cookies, sun crust, mashed potatoes, and it can change from 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 shadow to light, you know, or where the sun is just softening things. And it can it can be have such variability because of the wind, because of the temperature, because of the sun. But likewise, off-road, you can have everything along that huge spectrum that makes the surface I'm traveling on so interesting. Mm. Right? It can be packed dirt that can be as smooth as pavement to gravel to deep gravel to slick rock to mud to chunky stuff to ruts it's all so interesting you know it just you you throw that for me i throw that into the mix of the ever changing scenery and that's what lights me up so much about traveling and it, whether it's by you know, whatever vehicle I've chosen. And um, like I said, I've been mountain biking for so long. And I started riding motorcycles when I was 16. I'm at this day of the year. I, what What is today? Today's the 10th of April. And it's uh, 2022. I'm going to be 70 in September. So a long time I've been riding the motorcycles and I didn't start really adventure touring until 97, but I've ridden, I don't know, a couple hundred thousand miles uh, adventure touring by motorcycle since then. And um, and then started four-wheel drive overlanding. And my ex-wife Lizzie and I bought in 1980, I think it was, we bought an LJ20 Suzuki. Which was the predecessor to the Samurai it had a 360 cc two stroke motorcycle engine, and uh, we took that from uh, outside of Boulder, Colorado, where we are living, up into Wyoming, and uh, couldn't go fast because it was about as fast as a Honda Trail 90, which means like 45 miles an hour with uh, you know with a tailwind on a slight downhill. <laughs> And, uh, and it was right-hand drive, which was confusing to drive at first. But it was tiny. It was the tin top. And it was so cool. I mean, the, the wheels, the tires looked huge in this thing compared to the size of the vehicle. But it was like traveling by motorcycle because we, you know, you just don't have a lot of space in the back of them. And I got a Suzuki Samurai, and I did the same thing. We got a, a new Isuzu Trooper in 90, did the same thing. And this was before it was called overlanding. It's interesting how once you get a term that defines something, people can go, yeah, that's what I like. I never had a term to define it. It's just like I love going on back roads, on dirt roads, and everything from, you know, I've done the White Rim Trail so many times when you could still actually get a space to do it because the there's so many people that mountain bike it and four wheel it now that you got to think like a year or two ahead to find campsites, you know, unless you're going to run it in the day. But I just loved getting out and doing that sort of thing. And all of these vehicles, you know, and they all have their pluses and minuses and, uh, And for me, growing up in central New York, where there weren't a lot of dirt roads, it was all pavement. The remote, the feeling of remoteness for being on dirt roads is really appealing. It's, it kind of harkens back to my love of backpacking, which I've done a lot of. I started doing that when I was like 16. And, and overlanding to me in remote places uh, using uh, vehicle based travel all the way from bicycles to four-wheel drive means it's it's like backpacking, but you can move faster. And then there's this spectrum of comfort. You know, backpacking is, is in a lot of ways the least comfortable um, because you can't travel very far in a day compared to what you can do on a bicycle. Compared to what you can do on a motorcycle, that's not very far in theory for the most part, depending on the terrain. And then when you have a four-wheel drive vehicle, you might actually not be able to travel as far as you could on the motorcycle because you can't go as fast, right? Um, and, and my wife, Ringe, has, has her motorcycle license, and we did a lot of adventure touring for a period. We're going through a spell where we're, we're, um, we have a motorcycle deficit, so we're not, we're not actually motorcycling at the moment, and that, that may change at some point. We're focusing on the four-wheel drive version in our sportsmobile four-wheel drive camper, the E three fifty diesel four by four camper that we've been using a lot. Um, and she grew up in a place where there was nothing but freaking dirt roads, right? Mm-hmm. Except the uh, mm-hmm. maybe the paved road going into Denali National Park, and
1: uh, well, and it was only paved for what is it, the first thirteen miles or so. I was thinking, listening to you about growing up in Alaska and how, yeah, I grew up overlanding, quote-unquote, as a natural way of being. And I think it's only been an hour, almost 20 years together that I've reconnected with, started to reconnect and am reconnecting with what I loved about that life and for me definitely the beauty of being out in nature the quiet the bird sounds the sky it's just the naturalness the I mean, I don't mind if we see someone across the way, but I certainly don't want to be out in a natural off-road place and end up camping next to someone if I can help it. I do not want to have to go out there and listen to other people's noise. So, yeah.
0: Sight and sound.
1: Sight and sound. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I mean we've we've uh, we've had RV. I've had a lot of RVs, and Ringa and I have full timed in an RV for a period of a few years, and we recently sold our ginormous forty foot motorhome. Um, it's just being in a campground is noisy. It's crowded. It's it's the opposite end of the spectrum in terms of aesthetics. You know, there's been some decent campgrounds but it's it's a different thing than being in an overland vehicle and i think that's what a lot of people are looking for uh the reason so many younger people especially are are getting uh into the van life and four-wheel drive vans like the sprinter vans and so forth and buying uh jeep wranglers with with uh rooftop tent and Land Cruiser, older Land Cruisers with rooftop tents or whatever, and they're getting out, and doing something that's more challenging than just RVing, than just going to hang out someplace, have a campfire, have a beer, your kids run around. Um, it's deeper and more meaningful because there is more. It requires more of you, and the payoff is higher. You know, you you get to a place that you've you have a sense of satisfaction about actually getting there. Mm-hmm. and in uh, setting up camp and enjoying that uh, that peace that that you've achieved part of that and there's a there's a deeper feeling of connection with nature when you've done that i think and that can broaden out into uh, if you have any kind of perspective on uh, nature is rese- representing some aspect of the the intelligence that may or may not have created that. I personally believe that an intelligence created it because it's too ordered to be otherwise. That chaos doesn't create order. It, uh, it just doesn't happen. So for me, I'm not a religious person, but I'm extremely interested in what constitutes the, the nature of human spirituality and consciousness. And how that how that uh, interconnects with with nature is the thing that sustains us, and uh, we can't be here without it. And when you can touch it in its more elemental form, it uh, it it becomes uh, more meaningful, you know. So we're gonna. Essentially, we're going to be uh, talking about uh, things related to that sort of stuff that's, uh, that's more of a deeper perspective, but we're going to do it in the context to, and at some point we're going to be outside of the studio that we're in right now, which is in our house, but it's our studio. It's our spare bedroom. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I hate it. Yeah, it's not. It's, yeah. So it's a little echoey. Um, our dog is... Uh, Wiley the wonder uh, the overlanding wonder dog is sleeping next to us he accompanies us on all our trips by the way he has been bicycle touring with me when we first uh, adopted him in Florida when we were living in Florida we did the Lake Okeechobee scenic trail together when you were up in Alaska visiting your mom so it was 150 miles that started it out he ran part of the way I carried him on the front rack part of the way He's, he is a portable dog He's not a pocket-sized dog. He can run back in the, in his heyday. He's run over twenty miles a day in uh, on mountain bike single track. Uh, he's backpacked with us. He's backcountry skied with us. Uh, he's probably got fifteen thousand miles on the back of my motorcycle, on road and off. Uh, he's uh, just recently we did uh, hundred miles of the Swanee River in Florida, and he he was. He was partially along for it but he was asleep meaning he was asleep like for 97 percent. he would wake up once in a while and go what the hell's going on
1: where are we where are we?
0: what, what is this place where are we now uh, um and he is he's an awesome overlanding uh, companion he he just hangs out between our driver passenger seat in our um sportsmobile camper we have a we have a the refrigerator uh our top loader refrigerator in between the seats and his dog seat goes there and he just bounces along and sleeps most of the way and um and uh he's a great camp dog
1: he's an elder dude now he's uh 16 this year we think and um a lot has changed as you all undoubtedly know if you love fur people what that's like but um He's our he's the little prince of the trip, and we cater to him in every way possible and and he blesses our days with his little pig pen, a fluff of flying fur,
0: yeah, <laughs> and, we still hike with him, but he doesn't he doesn't like to hike as far. He's like, "You know I'm over that, I'm just all over that. You can carry me if you want, so I carry him in my pack, and he ain't heavy. he's my puppy, that's right. and uh that's right yeah he only weighs like 13 pounds so he's a good size you know uh, if he if he hurts himself he can uh, I can always carry him so we're going to be coming to you with more episodes about our adventures Um, one of the things that struck me as something that I think would be super fun is to uh, is to bring you along on some of our trips most of the, pretty much all of the podcasts I've listened to that, that are not, vi- you know, vlogs that are not video podcasts are done in the studio and it's people talking and we'll be doing, um, you know, fair bit of that. But, uh, I want to bring along field recorders and bring you along for the ride when we're doing trips on, uh, a lot of our Eastern Oregon, Idaho, Washington, Trips. We spend winters four months off going to the Southwest, going to Arizona and Death Valley, Southern California, and such. So we're going to bring you along for some of those adventures. We also have any number of people to talk with that have overland-related businesses about gear. And as much as I am primarily... Doing overlanding and always have for the experience of the adventure and getting out and exploring. I still really like gear. Mm-hmm. I'm a gearhead. I admit it. And so we'll be interviewing the uh, number of of uh, businesses that create some amazing, amazing vehicles and trailers and uh, gear of that sort here in Central Oregon, and maybe Portland on occasion. And uh, so we'll bring you along for that as well. And thank you for joining us. I hope you uh, will continue to listen to us along the way to our wheel adventures.